Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Man, while you're being seated, I, I want to talk to those that are watching at home this morning. Uh, today, there are only a few of us here in the room. This is a soft opening today. Uh, in, in reality, what this really is, is it's, a, it's a trial run in a, a new church facility. Uh, if you're watching at home, we wanted you to be here, and, and we, we are missing something. We're missing you, and, and we can't wait until next Sunday um, because next Sunday, you will not have to stay at home. You will get to be here. Uh, unfortunately, our 9 o'clock and our 11 o'clock services are already full. So if you have not yet registered for that, we did open up a 2 p.m. service. And so the band and myself and the staff, we're going to be worn out next Sunday. But we're excited about it, and it's worth it because we want to get as many people into this room as we possibly can to worship together at 50% capacity. So that's how we have to do it for right now, and that's, it's not ideal, it's not how we envision the opening of our new facility, but it is what it is, and it's going to be a great day next Sunday um, um, when, when we are here at home in our new facility. You know, two weeks ago, I began this series called At Home, and this series is about the places where we reside physically, spiritually, and mentally, and we're taking a close look at the homes that Jesus visited, the recorded uh, instances where Jesus went to someone's home. And the first week, we looked at the, that time when Jesus visited the home of Simon Peter. And although it was an exhausting day of ministry, he probably had at least three services that day, um, Jesus still made it a priority to heal. He healed Peter's mother-in-law, and then uh, they started bringing people to the house for him to heal. And, and Jesus in the house brings healing to the house. Amen. Last week, we looked at the time when Jesus visited the home of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus was a man of means, but he didn't have a mission. And Jesus was all about fixing that in his life because Jesus in the house brings purpose to the house. Amen? How many of you are thankful for purpose in your home? Amen? Amen. You know, I would do just about anything for my children, and at one time or another, I probably have. Um, Last weekend, uh, my son got married, and that, that week and even weeks leading into their wedding day, um, it, it's no secret that, that we had to scramble to, to get this facility ready. And we worked, and, and, and man, the staff, they were so helpful and all that, and, and there were some other volunteers that gave up their time. It was a busy week leading into their wedding, and the wedding was on Saturday, and then we gathered as a church staff uh, to watch uh, church online on Sunday morning. And after an exhausting you know, weekend, we went home and, and we were sitting around just watching TV. I think I was about to doze off and take that Sunday afternoon nap, you know, where you lay before the Lord on a Sunday afternoon. And, and um, I, we, were, we were just winding down when, when Mandy and I remembered that, that, man, or that Kendall, rather, had to be moved out of her house in Cleveland, Tennessee. She's been home uh, since COVID-19 hit and, and, and the whole pandemic, you know, fiasco. She, she's been at home. She's, she never went back to, to school. And we remembered she's got to be moved out Saturday. And, and so we were just wondering what day this week are we going to be able to do it, anticipating that we knew, you know, that this weekend we would be having a crowd in the first service live on stage, you know, here in this room. And uh, so I, I was just thinking about my week, and I just realized I didn't have a choice, but we were going to have to leave first thing the next day. 
And so on Monday morning at 7 a.m., we took off to, to Cleveland, Tennessee. We loaded up a trailer full of her furniture. We cleaned the house. And by 12.30 that night, we had already unloaded the trailer, and we were back at home in Newberry, Florida. It was an exhausting day. The things that you will do for your children. Today, we're going to read about one father's love to find healing for his little girl. I want us to turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5 in your Bibles. I'm going to start reading at verse 21. Today's going to be one of those days where I'm going to read a few verses. I'm going to stop and expound upon the scriptures a little bit. And then we're going to dive back into it. So if you will, just leave your, your Bibles or your digital devices uh, open. And, um, and, and we'll kind of navigate through this thing together. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little girl is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Let's stop there for a moment. Jairus was one of the lead rabbis in the local synagogue. By position alone, we know that, that he knew the Old Testament Word of God inside and out. He was an expert on the Old Testament. As a rabbi, he would have completed all three phases as a student of the Torah. He would have studied the Talmud and entered and endured rigorous debates with other rabbis to gain a deeper understanding of God's Word. He would have been chosen by another rabbi to be their apprentice, apprentice or, or a disciple of that rabbi. And with the approval of three rabbis, he, he himself would have been made a rabbi to serve as a rabbi in, in a local synagogue. But Jairus wasn't just a rabbi. You see, Jairus was a ruler in the synagogue. He was one of the, the higher-ups in that synagogue. He was an important man. And many people looked to him for guidance and direction. But Jairus must have noticed something about Jesus. There was something about this man Jesus that stood out to him. And no doubt, having memorized a lot of the Old Testament, he probably was reading certain verses that would speak to the coming Messiah, and he was starting to put two and two together and figure out that this man Jesus just might be the Messiah that Israel had been waiting for. But you see, his reputation was on the line if he went to Jesus. Because if he goes to Jesus, certainly those in the temple, the high priest, they're going to frown upon him. If he goes to Jesus, there may be some members of his synagogue that might not be happy with him, but this father had no choice because his daughter was on the verge of dying. She's on her deathbed. And so this father, he is willing to shed the title of being a, a rabbi, a ruler in the synagogue, because he's desperate to see the healing of his daughter. So he steps out on faith, and he doesn't care what anybody else thinks. Church, I think there needs to be a moment where we just quit forget, or, or start forgetting about what anybody else thinks, and, and we just enter into the presence of the Lord. I think sometimes that we believe that when we step out on faith, 
that God is going to make the paths smooth and straight. How many of you have stepped out on faith before and it was not smooth and straight? Most of the time it's not. I promise you, you're in good company. When we finally decided to bite the bullet and step out in faith, and, and many of you that are in the room and, and many watching at home, you know that when, when we finally decided to, to bite the bullet, step out on faith, I, I, I thought, honestly, when we broke ground three and a half years ago, I, I thought that, uh, that it would take about one year for this building to be built. That's what I was told, Josh. I was told it would be about one year. We broke ground. The construction began Three and a half years later, we're standing at this moment, and I can tell you it was not smooth. It was not straight. It was a beast. And we don't expect delays and interruptions when we are walking in the will of God, but they happen. Because sometimes things don't go according to our plans. I have figured out, church, that the will of God has potholes, it has roadblocks, and it has detours. And with the construction of this place, we've experienced all of them numerous times. Very seldom will you go from point A to point B without an interruption when you're walking out the will of God. I guess sometimes God wants us to take the scenic route to our blessing. And boy, the things that we will see on that detour, right? We're so anxious that we forget to take it all in. I think sometimes if I'm guilty of anything in, in the construction of, of this facility, is that it's moments when I've become so anxious that I forgot to take it all in. And to see some of the miracles that God was providing all along the way. Verse 24 says, and, and he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Listen to this, Daughter, You got one man that's so concerned for his daughter that he's willing to lay his whole reputation on the line. And now you've got this woman. And with an issue of blood, people have avoided her. I wonder how long it had been since someone ever called her daughter. It's almost as if he's saying, Jairus, listen to me. Your daughter's important, but, but this is a daughter of God. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is that moment where we're supposed to say, praise the Lord. 
A woman was just healed of a disease. Thank you, Jesus. Someone else got healed. Someone else got their blessing. But it's one of the hardest things in the world to observe when you're needing your miracle and you're watching somebody else get their miracle. Oh, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just it, Nobody in this room has ever felt that before. It's just me and everybody else at home. It's hard to watch somebody else be blessed while you're waiting on yours. When you're hoping and believing for your miracle, but God blesses someone else. Some of you may remember me telling this story a few years ago, but there, there was a, a, a couple that interned at our church. And I, how can I say this nicely? They were not ready for full-time lead pastor ministry. I'm not judging, but I am. And they were not ready. I mean, I, I, I knew that they were not ready for, for full-time lead pastor ministry. And uh, they left us after, after a few months. And a couple of years later, I'm, I'm reading on Facebook and they got appointed to a church, and it had this beautiful, beautiful, new, modern facility. I mean, I looked at the pictures of their services, and, and I became envious, borderline sinful, as I wanted what they had. And I thought to myself, God, they don't deserve that. We'd been setting up and tearing down for, for a few years, and I'm thinking, God, look how faithful we are. They didn't even work out their entire internship, and you blessed them? God, you're not fair in all this. How many of you know God doesn't have to be fair? He gets to make the rules, right? God, why? Why would you bless them and not me? And sometimes God might be delaying your gratification because you need to go through some sanctification. Rocky needed to learn to celebrate the success of others and trust God for his coming blessings. And sometimes I wonder if maybe my lesson that needed to be learned is one of the reasons why God waited to bless us. I had to learn that their journey is not my journey. And my journey is not their journey. What God does in their life is none of my business, and what God does in my, in my life is none of their business. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Now this is one of the most interesting moments in Scripture here to me because I wonder, I wonder how his other disciples felt when he said, Peter, James, and John can go, but the rest of you have to stay here. Peter, James, and John can continue with me on to Jairus' house, but I don't want the rest of you to go. I mean, what made Peter, James, and John so special that they get to, to go further along on the journey with Jesus, with the rabbi? I mean, they've witnessed some of his miracles, and, and they probably want a front row seat to, to more miracles. You know, this, this part in the New Testament reminds me of the story in the Old Testament where Abraham and Isaac are at the bottom of Mount Moriah. 
And God is testing Abraham's faith by telling him, I want you to go and sacrifice your son. You know, if you read that story carefully, you'll see that there are two other men that are traveling with them. They're helping with the luggage. They're, they're helping uh, 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 on this journey. And, and, and when they get to Mount Moriah, they're at the foot of the mountain. And in Genesis 22 and 5, it says, Then Abraham said to these young men, to his young men, he said, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. I use the English Standard Version because the King James Version um, says it a little bit differently. And there are children in the room, and there's children watching at home also. And uh, um, I don't want mom and dad to have to explain why the pastor said what he did. But sometimes people just have to stay with the donkeys, don't they? Not everyone is going to be supportive. Not everyone is going to let you walk out what God has called you to walk out. And the enemy will use them to block faith. If you're not caref careful, some of the people that you, you allow to come into your inner circle and into your life, they will speak so much doubt over your life that you'll start believing what they're saying. You better learn to tell some people to, to stay here with the donkeys while, while, while I go up on the mountain because God's got something for me up there that you don't quite understand. Well, you don't have to tell them all that. You don't have to, but just tell them to, to stay back. Say, I got this. Let, let me and the lad go on up on, on the mountaintop and see what God has for us. And Jesus, this day, Jesus is on a mission. The 12-year-old daughter of Jairus is now dead and rather take some doubters with him. He took the ones that believed. And this was not uncommon for Christ. If you read through the Gospels, you'll read that multiple times in Scripture, these same men, Peter, James, and John, they accompanied Christ when others were not allowed to be with Christ during those moments. They were not present with them. Peter, James, and John were with him when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration because not everybody could understand what was happening in that moment. They were with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and these were the ones that were the closest to him, and they still couldn't stay awake. But Jesus is trying to teach them something in that moment. But these are the ones that often he would call to him and say, Peter, James, John, I need you close to me. Why would Jesus have such a personal relationship with, with them? Why would he call them from among the 12 to be with him so often? And although the Bible does not spell out the exact reason why he wouldn't allow the others to come with him, we do know that these three men believe that Jesus was who he said that he was. Think about this. Just before the transfiguration, Peter con uh, confessed in Matthew 16 and 16, he says that, that, that you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. So we know what Peter believed. We also know that James and John, who Jesus nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. Sounds like an 80s wrestling tag team, doesn't it? The Sons of Thunder. Hawk and animal, the Sons of Thunder. The road warriors, Right? All of those that are under the age of 35 right now have no idea what I'm talking about. It's all right. James and John were so convinced of his Messiahship that they were vying to be seated, one at his right hand and one at his left hand when he comes into his kingdom. That's how convinced they were. And to make matters worse, their mama got involved and went to Jesus. Now, how many of you, you just don't want your mama going to your boss, right? You don't want that. Mama goes and she says, listen, listen Jesus, 
Now, my, my boys are faithful. Which one are you going to have on your right? Which one's going to be on your left? So mama gets involved on this. And after a quick little rebuke by Jesus in front of the other disciples, Jesus gives them all a lesson on what it means to be a servant in the kingdom of God. Sure, it was childish mentality. But in this moment, it also reveals their childlike faith of who Jesus really is. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and those are the kind of people that you want around you when you are about to walk into a father's house and his daughter is laying in there dead. You don't want people who doubt. You want people who have faith when you walk into a room that someone is dead and a father is brokenhearted over this. You want people surrounding you that, that, that will believe with you. You want armor bearers. You don't want pallbearers walking in there with you. You want people full of faith and not fear. You want believers and not retreaters. You know what a retreater is, right? A, a retreater is one who looks for some other place to hide when things start getting bad. How many of you know people like that in your life? That when things get rough, they just retreat. They, they don't, they don't want to be there in the battle with you. They're not going to fight arm in arm with you. They're not going to believe with you. But it's about to get bad. Listen to this. Mark chapter 5, verse 38. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. Listen to what the commotion was. People weeping and wailing loudly. Nearly four years ago, we dropped our daughter off at Lee University. And me and Mandy and Mariah and Caleb, we, we all moved Kendall up there that weekend. And it was a very emotional weekend. And let's, let's be honest, church. The next six months was very emotional for me. That's, that's, that's when I figured out why old men carry handkerchiefs all the time. Because I, I cried every day. I know I did. But we had to say goodbye, and it was an abrupt goodbye. It, it really was. I don't think Kendall realized how abrupt it was going to be. And so our little girl, she walks off, bottom lip quivering. And we pull out of that university. And my wife, her crying, her weeping, her wailing. <laughs> we were all emotional. I remember looking in the rearview mirror at, at Caleb and Mariah, and we're like, I mean, it, it seemed like it lasted for, for at least 20 minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, None of us said a word. We left Cleveland, Tennessee. We hit I-75. We drove through Chattanooga. We went probably about, about 20, 25 miles past Chattanooga. And I needed gas. Nobody says a word to anybody in the car. When a woman's crying like that, you don't say a word. Men, you let her cry. I let the woman cry. We pulled into that gas station. We all got something to eat and stuff. And, and it, it, it kind of broke the ice for us. We all settled down. We got back in the car after it filled up. And we, we hit the interstate heading towards Atlanta. And, and everybody was now relaxed. Mandy, I think, by then had talked with Kendall. And, and everybody's okay. Kendall's putting on a good, a good act for her mom. And everybody's settling down a little bit. We get just south of Atlanta. 
and I put on some Matchbox 20. Name of the song is Gone. First two lines of the song. I think I've already lost you. I think you're already gone. That's all we got to hear of the song because Mandy, Mandy, her head, I, I'm shocked she didn't have whiplash. She turned so quick. She turned towards me and she went, why would you do that? And here it goes again. I look in the rearview mirror and they're just like. <laughs> I picture this to be the atmosphere that Jesus walked into. Sobbing. Wailing. Deep mourning. People. Family that had just lost a 12-year-old girl that did not deserve to die at such a young age. Verse 39, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? It's kind of what I wanted to say just south of Atlanta, but the child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talatu kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. Now, why the writer put that in there at that moment, I don't know, except for the fact that he said she got up and started walking. So we know that she at least is of age to where she can take some steps and walk. She began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Church, here's what happens. Jesus in the house brings joy to the house. When you invite Jesus into the house, you're, 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 you're weeping, you're mourning. It, it, it turns into joy. When you have Jesus in the house, it changes the atmosphere of what you are going through in that moment. The wailing had turned to wonder. The crying had turned into a celebration. Jairus' 12-year-old daughter was now alive, and she was well, and she was walking around, and the natural had been overwhelmed by the supernatural. How many of you today want your, your, your natural to be overwhelmed by the supernatural power of God? Amen? I want the natural in my life. I want it to be overwhelmed by the supernatural power of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus in the house brings joy to the house. One last thing here about Jairus. Jairus, his, his very name, it means God enlightens. When his parents named him, they named him God enlightens, Jairus, God enlightens. In other words, God gives greater understanding. God enlightens. And after that day, Jairus knew that the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah were fulfilled in Christ because when, when God brings joy into your house by raising your 12-year-old daughter from death back to life, when, when you experience that kind of joy in your life, you will have no doubt of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and how it is active in your life because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? And in his presence, we know that there is the fullness of joy. I'm so thankful 
that God went to the extreme for his children. You know, God could have just sat up in heaven and said, yeah, I made those people. Let's just see what they do with it. Good luck. He kind of did at first, didn't he? Be fruitful and multiply. Do what you can. And man, we made a mess of things. But he loved us so Our Heavenly Father loved us so much. He didn't just drive to Tennessee and back in one day. No. He sent his son to become one of us so that we could have joy, so that we could experience resurrection, so that we could be made alive again after we were dead in our sin. That's how much God loves his children. I want to speak to those that are watching at home. Maybe you're watching and you don't know the joy that we're speaking of today. Maybe joy has not come to your house. There are people in this room that have already prayed for you. There are other prayer team members watching from their home and they've been praying for you, praying that you would receive the free gift of salvation into your life. Today, we want to make that so easy for you. Today, we want to give you an opportunity to accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ for your sins to be washed, for you to gain eternal life. And we're going to make this easy on you today. All I'm going to do is say a prayer. And I'm going to ask everyone in the room to repeat this prayer. I'm going to ask everyone at home to repeat this prayer after me. And if you're receiving that forgiveness in your life, I want you to make my words your words today. Mean this prayer. Church, let's all look up to heaven and say it together. Say, Dear Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that he rose again giving me eternal life. And today, I make him the Lord of my life. In his name I pray, amen. Amen. Church, let's celebrate what's just happened. Amen. Amen. You know, we believe, we believe that those of you that, that celebrated, or, or those of you that gave your heart to Christ at home, we believe that, that you need to celebrate that. We want to help you celebrate that. All we want you to do is go to our website. Go to destinycommunitychurch.org connect. Go down to the decision form and fill out that form. And we're going to put a free book in the mail to you that tells you all about your next steps. But listen, telling someone is what is important right now. Your faith is going to be made stronger as you tell people. You're going to overcome the attack of the enemy as you tell people about what Christ has done in your life. And just let us continue to celebrate that with you. We're so proud of the decision that you've made. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.